Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 65. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. We're a couple in Austin, Texas, getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's media and pop culture blind spots and sharing our must-see movies and guilty pleasures from the past. Each week, one of us gets to choose something to force the other person to watch. Mm-hmm. Force. Yes. Coerce. Coerce. Suggest. There's, recommend. There's like treats, though. There's like popcorn. Yes. There are sometimes treats. I think yes. we did. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> it was my turn to pick. You, you chose. I was the chosen one. Okay. <laughs> I was the vampire slayer of the week. No. And the film I chose was. Drum roll. The Witness. Witness. Oh, there's, not witness. There's the, no definite. Okay, because the witness is a documentary about Kitty Genovese. The this is not that film. It's not that film. Which is a yes. good film. It is a good. We'll film. do another one on that some other time. Will we? Probably yeah. not. Okay. <laughs> Always disregard everything we say in the opening two minutes of this show. We'll watch that film, but we're not going to tell anyone about it. Well, we did watch that film, and, and we, we didn't tell. We anyone didn't tell about anybody it. about it. <laughs> Okay, it's a joke in poor taste. Nobody. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Google uh, Kitty Genovese if you need to, but there you go. Um, So I chose witness, as in witness. Witness. So it's just witness. There's no five. Yes, it's the one you're thinking of out there, people in Radio Land. Radio Land. (laughs) <laughs> well, I never got to do a stint as a DJ. That's or right. Anything. 1985, directed by Peter Weir, starring Harrison Ford and Kelly McGillis. Witness. Witness. And away we go. So so tell us, Dave, why did you choose Witness? Uh, I have a fairly simple answer to this. Okay. This is just something that, in my mind, and it's, here we go with, Yes, I'm 10 years older than you, but in my mind, this was just, it's just a given that everybody has seen this movie. It's just like a classic. It's just like a a kind of a a movie everybody knows and has seen. And it, and when it came up at some point, I realized you had no idea what I was talking about. I don't even think you'd heard of it before. Nope. It was a big movie at the time. I've seen a bunch of Harrison Ford movies and never seen this movie. (laughs) I think there's a big chunk of Harrison Ford movies that you some of them you're aware of and some of them you're not, but that you haven't seen. Yeah. This is one of them. This is probably the best Harrison Ford movie that you haven't seen. Okay. Of that, of that sort this of... This is better than Air Force One. Tenor, well, yes. Okay. You should see that for a totally different reason. Yeah. You should see that in the same way you should see Con Air with yeah, Nicolas Cage. Yeah, I haven't seen Cage. Con Air. So. Both airplane movies. That's right. Huh. I wonder what, <laughs> if that's why that occurred to me. Well, I also don't enjoy airplanes, so... So, I saw this on release in the theaters with my mom, probably and her boyfriend, 1985. I was 14 years old. Um, early era of home video, so I'm sure... I And I was already started... I was just starting to collect movies and tape stuff off the air. So, I remember having a copy of it on tape. I saw it a few times back then, Um I liked the film. I, even as a teenager, I responded to it. I loved Harrison Ford. Um, and I'd never seen anything quite like this. I, I used to watch Siskel and Ebert and at the movies and all that kind of stuff. And they loved them. Well, Ebert loved the movie. I can't honestly can't remember if Siskel did. 
See, I can actually go back and consult. No, e- I saw that Ebert liked it. Roger I don't Ebert's remember. Reviews. I didn't read anything about what Siskel thought about but, it. Um, so. And so I just wanted you to be aware of it. I just wanted you to see it. I just wanted you to add it to your... I don't know. It's a good movie. And it was one you just didn't even know about it. And uh, and then I was curious because I've been... I, you know, as I say, like almost every time I get to choose something, I haven't seen this in 20 years. And I wanted to know... If, what? 40 almost <laughs> no i've seen this since then oh, okay <laughs> i mean i probably have seen this four or five times mm. over the year if probably five it's probably this is my fifth time or so yeah. i'm sure i saw it a few times back then um and i wanted to know if it held up yeah i wanted to know if it had assumed a certain cheesiness or if it was a movie from another era completely in the sense that can you go back to, I don't know. I mean, I'm always wondering as a viewer now whether you could even make the kinds of movies that were made in the 70s 80s, and 80s now in terms of the way they're paced and the, and the kinds of story they, stories they tell. I think maybe you have a little bit more luck with a movie like Witness, which has sort of a, a crime drama aspect to it as well. Anyway, I really just wanted to kind of grab you and say shut up and watch this because it's just kind of iconic. Yeah, and so yeah, I I don't have a lot to say as to why I've never seen it. Is well, you don't have to justify. I, anything. Well, I know, but um, but I, so I'm gonna use I'm gonna use my time that I would normally devote to this. But I have to say first, yeah. I was three years old when this came out, so so you actually have no excuse, is what you're saying? Yes, I should have seen. I should have. Um, Who can honestly say they haven't seen Witness on their parents' knee when they were three but years old? I wanted to use my time because you didn't bring up, and it surprised me because the reason that we were talking about Harrison Ford movies is um, Lindy West, um, who is a comedic uh, writer. Actually, not all comedic. She writes great feminist um, pieces as well um, for uh, major newspapers and such. But she wrote a fun book. Um, I've read all her feminist work. I also read all her fun stuff. And she wrote, she's got her start in journalism as a movie reviewer who did very silly, very hilarious reviews of movies. Um, And so she returned to this um, for this terrible pandemic year and gave us something wonderful, (laughs) which is reviews of like very silly 90s movies to see if they hold up. And one of the reviews was for The Fugitive. Uh, starring um, uh, Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, and and didn't she doesn't she frame it as the Fugitive is the best movie ever? Sort of. I think the chapter is called Fu- yeah. "The Fugitive is the best movie ever," and the Fugitive is so much the best movie forever <laughs> for her that she bases her entire rating scheme, yeah, uh, rating scheme on the Fugitive. So you know how you have five stars on Goodreads or you know four star movie reviews. She reviews everything out of. 10 DVDs of The Fugitive. Yes. <laughs> so I think The Fugitive gets 10 DVDs of The Fugitive as it's rating. So that's why we were talking about the oeuvre of Harrison Ford. Oh, and I don't even know if you mentioned the name of the book. You can do no better favor for yourself if you really just need a few hours to like laugh yourself silly. It's called Shit Actually. Yes. Named after her review of Love Actually, which she 
decree- which it's actually a, a rerun of, of I believe it originally appeared in like a Jezebel article and she brought it back and sort of updated it um, well yeah it, it works as a title for the <laughs> yes. whole collection yes it does she wanted to go back and look at iconic movies the movies we all remember seeing a million times and loving to see like what do they look like now when we look at them are they are the silly are the stupid ones still stupid are the really good fun bloated ones that we loved as teenagers do you know is Titanic any good yeah Titanic's not that good. Titanic's not that good. <laughs> so that's that. I just wanted to make sure that we mentioned that because. Um, well, you're right because yeah. that's what planted the seed in my head again. I think I was on Amazon the next day ordering a DVD copy of yeah. this because I quizzed you suddenly about have you know I was suddenly like how okay you'd seen The Fugitive obviously yeah. but I was like you've never seen Patriot Games and you've never seen Air Force One that was a, like yeah. another one that I was like oh that's just a fun thriller you know from that era and you know he's great it's a harrison ford thriller um but witness was just you know it was it was a drama and a crime thriller it's not really a thriller but it has a crime story to it and um it was well respected and well reviewed and still has like a i don't know 93 percent rating on tomatoes that's the thing that i didn't expect because like going into this I, and sometimes I have a problem with this. I think we've had... I can't remember. There was another movie that we went into this, and I expected a movie to have this tone, this sort of, like, over-the-top... I mean, like The Fugitive, sort of thriller, exciting movie kind well, of... Well, I never told you. Yeah. <laughs> I never told you the train of thought that played out in my head. Like, so I, oh, you should see a good Harrison Ford I have movie. this bad habit where if I come into a movie with any sort of expectation that I kind of... It kind of affects how I'm in, interacting with it initially. And then sometimes it, like... I, I have to, like, reassess because the tone is different than I expected. So this is, like, a big Academy Award movie. It won, like, Best Original Screenplay or something like yes, that. Yes, and you had me worried because we watched it together and you were kind of making snarky comments Oh, yeah, co- I was, comments I was movie, doing I was a like, little Mystery oh, Science Theater Well, I was like, why is beginning? she doing that with this movie? <laughs> and I didn't realize that... You were giving me the look and I was like, what? Is it not that kind of movie? <laughs> it's not. I don't... I mean, I don't... <laughs> I still don't think it's that kind of a movie. I think maybe we should do a little bit more setup on these things, especially if I go into it thinking it's going to be like men fighting on a plane or or whatever, you know. I don't think I ever said I think we had that. a conversation about this and I thought it was Harrison Ford that was the witness and he was in the witness protection program. And no, I never said that. This was all your I so my assumptions were all wrong. So just a little overview of the plot of this movie which is um, we start in Amish country, um, a woman and her young son, the, the father has just died, so they go on a trip outside of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, where the Amish people live, um, to visit her sister who lives in an Amish community in, outside of Baltimore. Um, so they have to go into the big city, catch a train, uh, go down to Baltimore while they're in Philadelphia at the train station. The boy goes to the bathroom and he witnesses a murder. Um, and so the whole plot is, um, you know, them trying to figure out what the boy knows because he's really quiet and and um, and then eventually it's uncovered that uh, the boy witnessed a murder by a corrupt police officer. And there's corruption in the Philadelphia Police Department. Or is it Philadelphia? I assume it's, it's Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yeah. 
They didn't show the... And Harrison Ford is the cop. Yes, Harrison Ford is the cop. Not the bad cop. <laughs> no. Who is the guy that's the... Danny Glover is Danny one. Glover. Danny Glover is one of the bad cops, but the other bad cop, I don't remember his name. Schaefer? His friend? Yeah, the, the, the guy man? at the top, yeah. Yeah. I assume he's he's so, higher up on the chain. I assume yeah. he's the one in charge, you know, so... So that's the setup. They have to protect the boy. Yeah. And get him out of town. Yeah, so Harrison Ford takes him back to the Amish, and he's injured in a shootout, so he has to stay in the Amish village while he's healing. Hiding out. Hiding, hiding out slash healing, so... And protecting the boy. Yeah. And hoping they don't track them down to one of 30,000 Amish somewhere in, <laughs> in uh, Amish country, Pennsylvania. Well, the thing that's interesting is the thing that they're selling is not actually drugs. It's like an ingredient that they use to make drugs. Yeah. It's kind of um, Breaking Bad-ish in that way, I guess. Yeah, it was something that was an ingredient for speed or something. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah. Anyway. So, not even speed itself, just... Uh, but it's not about that. No, no, it's not about that. <laughs> That's like, you're like, I don't understand what happened with the cop. And I was like, I don't think it matters that much. That's just the excuse to get them. <laughs> it's kind of like they said, yada, yada, police corruption, yada, yada, yada. But I mean, they do it. Yeah. It's fine. It's it's convincing. It's done well. And and most thankfully, it's done efficiently and quickly. Yeah. Like, you you know, you're not supposed to think about it too much. It's, it's set up, it gets them where they're supposed to go. Yeah. Which is fish out of water kind of stuff. And the clash of the old world and the new world. And the, and Harrison Ford and Philadelphia. And the violent world of the English, yes. as the Amish called That's right. the outside world. And living on the quiet Amish farmland community. Yeah. So this got me off on a whole like tangent. I spent... Uh, when I was taking an afternoon bath, I spent about 30 minutes like looking at information about the Amish in different communities around the United States. So <laughs> I know a little bit more about that. I have an odd fascination with um, niche religion, so I will often go on wiki wormholes down. You wiki know, wormhole says would be a yeah. great name for another podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, wiki wormholes about um, niche religion. So I learned that they... The Amish communities in the United States are the fastest growing communities in in the world. Like in some cases they have like 135% or 169% growth like over a decade or something like that. So because the infant mortality rate has dropped so low and many of the families have six or seven children, they're so like... And then each of them have families. It keeps expanding like... It's incredible. Like in 1985, there were like 100,000 people, and now there's like 300,000 Amish people. Like they can't live in Pennsylvania anymore, and they keep having to move west because, or, or found new communities in different parts where the land is cheaper because um, they need farms to, to support their way of living. Although I was reading. Um, that a lot of people don't actually work on farms as their way they make money. They often, you know, make goods that are sold to the English world. Mm-hmm. Um, so interesting stuff. <laughs> so now you have me, though, really interested in this idea that you came in with a completely different expectations, <laughs> that it was a totally different movie and that we were supposed to be sitting there making fun of it. Yeah. And 
did you ever get out of that mode or well, did you yeah, just, I think that like a, think, I mean like I did this a couple isn't as funny ridiculous as I thought but there was a couple of comments and you looked at me like and then I was like okay well maybe this is not what <laughs> so I think the train of thought that I skipped was you reminded me of Harrison Ford movies but I never said that this isn't one of the silly yeah I pop didn't thrillers know. like <laughs> I didn't know it was like a serious like Air Force One. Series Academy Award winner. Peter film. Weir is a, a legit director. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. Mean, I think at some point I was like, he directed, you know, Picnic at Hanging Rock. Yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> which I love. Yeah, it's really good. Um, so, yeah, it, it just was a different um, thing than I was expecting. <laughs> Now I'm now I'm sad that I gave it inadvertently well, I mean, a disservice the- by setting you up to think that we were going to sit down and like snark at the television set. Yeah, well, it's interesting because like the the scene at the beginning, like the cop and the murder thing, like it's just kind of like I don't know. You don't know what tone it's going to take. It's like the presence of the boy that gives it more depth than it would have. You know. Um, I mean, like, otherwise, like, you could easily think that it was just, like, some generic cop thriller with, you know, a, a murder as the setup. But then there's this sort really of, like, isn't. poignancy of that child, you know, dealing with with what he's just witnessed, you know. Well, I, um, I hadn't remembered much about how the film was directed or visualized, but I was so impressed seeing this now with how well and how much effort Peter Weir takes to frame the opening from the boy's point of view. And it's just so rich the way, like you're the camera is down at his level mm. and you see everything in the, tr- from the train station on into that, into getting into that bathroom from his point of view. And you're there in the stall as he's peering out and he's trying to hide. And before they open up all the stalls and find him, um, it's amazing POV. Like, so that, that aspect of it already transcends. This is just a routine eighties, you know, thriller, sequel, crime, cop, drama, corruption thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, because of what he's doing with POV of his characters. Yeah. Which was something that I also didn't, I didn't remember. So in my mind, I remembered this as being more about Harrison Ford's journey. Like mm-hmm. he's the fish out of water in Amish country. I didn't remember at all that it opened in Amish country, that it starts with them. It starts with Rachel and her son, Samuel and the funeral and the, and, um, coming to the city. That takes a while. It's it's 10 minutes or so. They have a whole scene at the funeral. And then you actually, you have this neat experience of starting to identify the world through their eyes. So you get to see them, go into our world and then you have beautiful moments like the little boy like it's just a detail but he doesn't understand what a water fountain is and yeah. he runs over and starts <laughs> playing with them what is this you know yeah. <laughs> and so it actually you get like two fish out of water stories for the price of one you yeah. get to start with them and it's i think it's a lot richer for starting with them and taking them into our world and then going back there and already that that beginning to identify with them and see the world through our, 
their eyes informs the way you then ride along with John Book, the Harrison Ford character, as he goes into their world. Because already you now have a little bit more knowledge than he does of what things are like there. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I liked that. I yeah. I thought it was really well done. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, and they, they actually set up a lot there. They set up the, um, the gentleman who um, is interested in The, the tall blonde ballet guy. Oh, the suitor? Yeah, yeah, the, the suitor of... You Daniel Hoff's yeah, something. It's, he Hoff's makes it clear that he's interested in uh, taking over as... So he's played by Alexander Goodenough, yeah. who's stunning to look yes. at. He just looks like, you know, <laughs> majestic, tall, blonde, yeah. uh, Germanic type. Yeah. Although he's Russian. He's Russian, yeah. Um yeah, and then it does a good job of sort of contrasting the sort of violence of, I mean, especially of the police. Like, there's that scene where they take them to see if it's one of their usual suspects. So they go into a bar and, like, pull this guy out and, like, knock him around, which is really hard to watch. And It um, is, and then it's treated as so routine. Yeah. Like, this is what they do. And, and you know, she's like... Uh, terribly offended and she was like you know can i need to go home you know can we not do this anymore you know and um he puts her up with his sister patty lapone <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah he just kind of drops her off and, and says they're gonna stay here tonight i really liked how they did the the reveal for the boy when he discovers who the person he saw commit the crime I would show that scene in a film class. It's so good. It's like he's hanging out at the busy police office and like there's people typing and the phone's ringing. There are a bunch of weirdos that are like calling the little boy over. Everybody and... notices the little boy is yeah. out of place and you've got like the the lady cop yeah. who kind of calls him over and wants to give him a cookie. Yeah. And you've got the creepy guy who's like handcuffed to a chair yeah. who starts rattling it after yeah. calling him over to <laughs> So he's just wandering around and he wanders over to like an awards case. And that's where he sees like an old newspaper clipping of the, um, of the guy of Danny Glover who committed the crime. Um, and, and like, there's that great scene where like Harrison Ford is on the phone and he looks over and sees the look on the boy's face. And then he immediately comes over. Without saying anything, he like puts the phone down and walks over and it's still from the little boy's point of view yeah. so you have towering harrison ford leaning down coming down kneeling down at his perspective yeah. and the boy turns and like points yeah and then he grabs his hand and puts it down because he he doesn't want you know he doesn't want anybody to know that and he's that's just the fingered, moment we all you know. realize this is much bigger than we thought yeah it's not a routine thing where you're just going to quickly pick up some suspect in a shitty bar downtown yeah. it's like goes up to the top yeah. It's a narcotics off a dirty narcotics <laughs> officer. So that 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 was a really awesome scene. You know, and the other thing that I kind of like as far as like before we move into the Amish world is like he goes and visits his friend in the police force who I think is like a lieutenant or something. He's high up in higher up in the um you know, hierarchy of police and um 
like he just visits him in his home and his wife is there and you they're like in his I know it's very weird um anyway you usually he, <laughs> have those scenes take place in an office yeah. with the guy like snarling into a phone or something like well, that well later on like he calls and his wife answers and he talks to his wife for a little bit before he like gets on the phone and like threatens him and all this stuff like that he um, has a relationship yeah. with these people <laughs> I don't know if you caught the detail but they were I think they were partners at some point. Yeah, in the past. yeah. So they have a history together. This is like his friend who's been promoted over and is now much higher yeah. up than he is. So it's it's interesting. They showed such a particularly of that character, like like a lot of like he's a family man. He has teenagers. He you know. Well, you're getting at one of the themes of the yeah, movie, yeah. <laughs> because John Book doesn't have. A family, yeah, he doesn't. And his sister, like she, there's allusions to the fact that he's butting into her his sister's life and telling her how to raise her kids. But yeah. he's like this lone white man, whatever, who yeah. can't commit to anybody and is just kind of a, I don't know, isolated, violent figure or something. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, they, um, you know, after he, like, he tell, confides in his friend, um, and then immediately, as soon as he tells his friend, he gets in a shootout with Danny Glover. And so then it's obviously clear that um, it's the only person he's told. Um. <laughs> Which I was very pleased to see yeah. that they did, because it is very obvious when he talks to Schaefer, yeah. this character... Um, played by Joseph Summer, who was very recognizable to me, and I had to yeah. look him up because I was like, he was in all the movies back then. He was character actor who was in everything, so you'd recognize him when you see him. He plays the friend, um, but you know right away after that phone call, who else have you told about this? Yeah, you know, keep this quiet. I'm gonna pull whatever, get a team or something like that. You know, and you looked at me and said, "Well, he's obviously he's obviously it. involved." And then it's not one of those movies where you're like much smarter than the movie, and yeah. you guess something that's not going to be revealed until yeah. like forty minutes later. No, it's the very next scene. That yeah, I, immediately gets that gets in a shootout with Danny Glover in a parking garage. So, which this this is funny to me. And going back to Lindy West and the Fugitive, is I just maybe there's a commandment for Harrison Ford movies where he shouldn't trust his old friend. Yeah, yeah. Because it's exactly like that character in The Fugitive, who's the baddie in The Fugitive, mm-hmm. who ends up being the one who like was was trying to have who had his wife murdered and was trying to have him killed. Who's in with the pharmaceutical company? That's the same character. Yeah. Only that's the rev, that's the reveal in that movie. Yeah. That comes two hours later. <laughs> this time, at least we know like right away, fifteen minutes into the movie. Schaefer's like, and then you kind of know, okay, well, there's not much more of a puzzle here. Now it's about survival. Yeah. So he gets shot. He goes to his sister's house, takes her car, grabs a little boy and his mom, and they um, head back to where she... But he got shot. He's yeah, he bleeding. got shot. It's a gut shot. Yeah. Low into the right, I guess. Um, anyway. Um, and, you know, you can tell they made him sweaty. <laughs> Yeah, he's like feverish and sweaty. Yeah, they made him sweaty. Um, But he gets them home and then um, he's going to go back to the city right away. They don't know he's shot until until after he drops them off and drives the car into the the birdhouse. Like, as with any, like, a lot of people run on adrenaline to get one task done. And when they complete that task, their adrenaline completely runs out and then they're really sick and dying. Uh, which is what happened to Harrison Ford. He drops them (laughs) off safely at their home with (laughs) Grandpa Eli. And then immediately drives down the road and crashes into the birdhouse. He ruins and, their birdhouse. Yes. It becomes an important... Uh, I do love a good movie with a birdhouse a bird, in it. A good birdhouse movie. <laughs> so, 
I, I can't remember if this is then. I think it is. But again, this idea of how well the movie like is able to show point of view and perspective. Like as soon as he does his job and gets them safe to the thing and, and crashes down there, I think it's at that moment that Eli, the old man, the grandfather, Rachel's father and the boy's grandfather, like jumps onto the horse carriage I think yeah yeah to drive to go down go there to, the to get him but you're the way they shoot that is makes it look like the horse carriage is the fastest fucking thing in the world yeah. <laughs> like so it immediately like changes perspective you've just come out of Philadelphia yeah. and then you have this like really tight close shots of of move of this moving shot like with the with you know close up on yeah. Eli's that 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 horse carriage is bucking it down the down the road <laughs> and that's that is the fastest thing in that world so again you you immediately shift to like what life and death is and what fast movement is to them and you're like this is exciting <laughs> that is what you would do yeah you would jump on that horse and get down there <laughs> you know what i think is interesting is this this very next scene <laughs> Is the most confusing scene in the movie to me, which is there's a scene where they obviously take his car and drive it into the barn, or they don't drive it into the barn. They like they have to probably pull winch it into it in the barn. So it took me forever because there's a scene where Harrison Ford is sitting next to his car and the farmer pops his head up from some below place. I remember so it, that. I had to like figure out, okay, this barn is on a hill. And the top part of the barn is on the high part of the hill, and there's a bottom part of the so it's a two level barn. Yeah. So if you want, <laughs> if you want to talk about any flaw at all in the directing, if it's even that, we didn't have that space established in such a way that it made sense that he comes up out of the ground. I like was that. like, what is he doing? Is there a basement in this barn? <laughs> I still don't quite picture it because I still don't. And think... the cows are in the lower part of but the barn. But I don't barn. think they ever showed how it like the entire space so you can see where there's one part that you can enter from a road and another part that you can come in underneath to get to the I don't I still don't I quite get it. Can part, you sketch this for the me? The part later? closest to the house has gotta be the part where the cows are and yeah. um and the milking area is. And then the upper comes in from the field and that's where they bring the hay in. So the top part yeah. is like the hay loft and the bottom part is where the cows are. Um, so it makes sense logistically speaking. And the reason I was able to picture it is because the mall, the converted mall that I work in is built this way. We have a ground floor um, entrance on the west and a second level entrance on. So so it's like built on a hill. And so the second floor is ground level on the east, but the first floor is ground level on the west. So. I'm sure you're the only person who's ever likened Highland Mall to the barn from Witness. Was... <laughs> I'm sure I'm not. <laughs> maybe that's what they were going for, the architects. I think so, maybe. <laughs> and so do you work down with the cows in the barn? Yeah, we work part? with the cows okay. uh, in like the grain elevator area. See, I used yeah. to call the library men's suits because I yeah. think men's suits used to be there when I was <laughs> that's a mall. right. Uh... So, but once you're there, once once you're there, and he's now recovering, right? Yeah. They have to get the Amish doctor to give him like well, teas he refuses, and antibiotics. They so. want to take him to an English doctor, an American doctor, an yeah. English doctor. They call us the English. <laughs> um, but he refuses because he knows that there's a required reporting if there's a gunshot wound. Which is that true? I don't know. 
Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I think they have to file a report. I think with there the might have been at one point. I'm not sure anymore because there are a bunch of laws passed where they don't want you to track any sort of gun statistics at all. I don't know. We're, so, we're, t- we're in 1985, and that seems reasonable to me. I guess it would be in 1985. I just know that they've repealed a bunch of that because we used to be able to collect federal statistics on gun violence, and now we can't mm. um, because of all these laws that were passed. So I don't know if that's true anymore, but maybe it was true in 1985. I don't um, know. We're reference librarians. Yeah. We should be able to figure I sure this could out. look that up, but I just haven't ever bothered to because it makes me depressed. Um <laughs> <laughs> but this is why he stays on. Yes, yes. So they... Um, Feverish Harrison Ford. They give him tea, some sort of um, anti- antiseptic tea that he drinks that helps with the... Then maybe they put a poultice on, too. Yeah. Um, but they healed him. It's a through-and-through wound, so it wouldn't be too bad. Oh, right. And, and, and here it came in, and there's the exit wound. They right didn't have it. to dig... I mean, like, so. so what I know from... From my knowledge of assassinations um, during like Lincoln's time, is that like most people didn't die from uh, the actual bullet wound. From the infection, they either the infection or people rooting around to pull the bullet out. So like like, they'd actually live just fine. Like um, Andrew Jackson, who Mm -hmm. was a jerk, and we wish he died from one of those bullet holes, but he actually had a lot of just bullets in him. You okay. know, he healed well enough with them in him, so... That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Harrison Ford doesn't have to worry about that. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so then the whole middle passage of the movie, most of the movie is devoted to he's healed and he's hiding out with them yeah. while trying to figure out what to do about the cor- police corruption back home. What can, he ever, what can he do to bring this to justice or to solve this problem and make sure... The Amish are safe. He is safe. He's now wanted. Yeah. He's now under death threat. Well, and that's the thing that's interesting to me and like what I don't know if the movie gave us enough is to... So they, I guess, don't have... I don't know how jurisdiction works and investigating a crime and extradition and all of that stuff, but... Well, it's the Philadelphia yeah. Police Force the does Philadel- not have jurisdiction out in Amish yeah. country, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So they call the sheriff of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, who's like, I have like three guys. I don't have enough have people guys to go. And, and um, Lap is like one of the most common names that yeah. ever. There's thousands of them. Yeah. How would I? Like, I can't do that. I don't know. It's see, I, I like when he says, <laughs> "You could. how about you could do some telephoning? Yeah. He's like, I could. Of course, they don't have phones, the yeah. Amish. <laughs> So, I mean, I like that part, but I still don't. It seems like to me they would have been able to figure something out other than what they did end up doing. Um. <laughs> well, there's no internet. Yeah, and, that's true. And you have a, a society that they do have, they do pay taxes and they do, they're on the rolls in some way, shape or form, but you're dealing with a first and last name that are extremely common among a hay bale of 30,000 Amish or something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, I I think that, well, there's not that many in, you know, among, among, you know, in the U.S., there aren't, male names are not very different. (laughs) Like, everybody has, like, the same, like, 12 names or something like that. Um, But I think that it's more like that in, in Amish country, that everyone's named Jacob or... Josiah. Jacob, or, Daniel, Samuel, Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> All biblical names, you know, and, and the bigger, the mm-hmm. bigger biblical names rather than the sort of like justice or, or the smaller. 
Okay, less ra- well known. random fun fact for you all, <laughs> in case you haven't seen this in a long time. This is Vigo Mortensen's first That's movie. That's right, Baby Vigo. Baby, Baby Vigo Mortensen. He must be what eighteen or something. Eighteen, yeah. nineteen. He play. He's he's just has he's plays a, a role with no dialogue, just yeah. as uh, the brother of the. Uh, he Alexander does Bukov. look a like. He does look a lot yeah. like. Um, it's his first movie. Yeah. He was doing theater. But he's Danish, not Russian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Amish aren't supposed to be Russian. They just went for people who looked different. Yeah, I that's think. true. <laughs> They're mostly Swedish. <laughs> but Vigo said he had such a good experience with this small part in this movie that it's what led to him going into film rather than continuing in theater. Yeah. He was supposed to do Shakespeare in the Park. Mm. He had a bit part in Henry V or something that summer in New York and um, got this part and, like, never looked back, I guess. Yeah. Vigo. So, yeah, he starts to do things with with the Am- Amish folks. He starts He starts building things. That's the first thing he does, right? I don't remember the sequence anymore because you just have this extended, like, he's there, he's hanging out, he's trying to make inquiries that he can, but it's also now thematically a way to, like, introduce scenes that are set around the differences between English culture and Amish culture and the violent world of Philadelphia and the police and their culture. So you have the scene about the gun and you have... Scenes where he starts to want to help out around the house and start building things. And oh, you she... have the amazing barn raising <laughs> sequence. Yeah, that's really good. Which is... So you have... Like, there's a series of, like, set piece sort of scenes that are yeah. around something really central. And they're all so good. Well, yeah. most of them. Well, the scene where she gives him uh, her her husband's old clothes. And they're... <laughs> yeah. Because he wants to go into town to make phone calls. Right, mm. they have to go to the little, the closest town where all the tourists throng and like take pictures of the yeah. Amish and gawk and walk up to them and stick their faces and, and so they have to dress him up like an Amish. Yeah, of course he has to put on her dead husband's clothes and they don't fit very well. So he <laughs> looks, well, Rachel laughs at him. Yeah, she thinks. Well, he's got you know it's kind of like high water pants and the shirt sleeves are too short and you know. I really like how much warmth and humanity and personality they give Rachel because you would think like your stereotype of the Amish is like very I mean my stereotype would have been cold religious but I don't know but she's like she laughs and she jokes with him and she flirts with him a little bit and um like she has an easygoing nature yeah with him and in general, with her with her family too. Yeah, I know. It's funny, like us. I guess us romantic folk. Um, us romantic. Folk. Us romantic folk. Talk to me of the romantic folk. Well, I'm not going to talk about the love story because I didn't like that as much. But what I do admire is how like warm, and like community centered and. Like, they just make it seem like a great place to be. And, like, from what I know about what I've read about and what I've heard about in the past is that, like, you know, they have... The, it's fa- People are fascinated with this, but they have this adolescent tradition of where when when children reach adolescence, they're allowed to sort of go experience some of the world. What is that called? Rumspringa. It means jumping around. They go on walkabout? <laughs> Essentially... 
um, where they, so they're not, they don't baptize children. Mm-hmm. They aren't like, like Baptists or, or Methodists where you baptize the child, you know, at, at a. But you go out and expose yourself to the outside world. And, and, and you see back. what's out there. And then you decide when you can choose whether you want to be baptized as part of the, the church or whether you want to stay in the outside world. And I believe that over 90% of people, even when exposed to, you know, all the... Do you know how long they're allowed to live, to go out I think wander? it starts 13-ish and until 18, and most choose to return. It's, or But they could before. go for years at a time yeah, yeah. and then come back? Yeah. So, it's, it's, interesting. it's interesting. I mean, I don't think it's as wild as, like... You know, I think, like, MTV did a thing on it of, like, some kids that were, like, living in a trailer home and, like, living it up. I mean, like, I think that's a thing that... But I don't think it's as wild as that. It's just people are allowed to go out and experience things that they wouldn't have experiences with within the community. And then they get to decide, and a lot of people choose to return. And I I can understand how... Because it's, like, it's especially that barn raising scene and like everybody's working together on a project and you know they're you know people are making food and they're eating together and you know it's i don't know it's like i freaking a, love the barn raising i know, scene. <laughs> I know it's, it's so, so good. good like they i was i read in i read on wikipedia i think yeah. that it was just you know a few lines of uh, the scene is just a few lines of description in the script but peter weir was like no we're gonna show the barn raising yeah. we're gonna do a barn raising we're gonna film a barn raising yeah. this is important to what i want to show about this society and the community and they built a barn they shot they actually built that barn <laughs> yeah well there must be you know i mean like as there must be some i mean it's not in this movie there must be i mean for a tradition that's that conservative there must be some small-minded ideals in that as well but it also it just seems such a nice thing to have is this like community of people that will support you and and like Although, and also leave you alone when you want to be left alone. Wait, explain that. When, when do I don't know. It just seems like it's sort of an introvert's paradise. Like you work on your own farm and then if you need help, you can call people over and they'll help you with your stuff. And, you know, they only go to church every other week. I was oh, reading. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So. That's interesting. Yeah. I like what you said about it's an introvert's paradise because I'm an introvert. <laughs> they don't have music though, so. Or much they, outside did literature. They, did they sing, though, at some point? I think they might. Yeah, they were singing, but they don't have, like, musical instruments. No. Which is why I really... <laughs> I know you don't like the love story. I'm not crazy about it, too. But I do like the scene where they dance to the Sam yeah, Cooke song. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. It's not... Unfortunately, it's not actually Sam Cooke. It's a sound-alike. I looked it yeah. up because I was like, this doesn't quite sound like Sam Cooke. <laughs> it's the uh, what, a, what a Wonderful World. Don't know much about history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the name of that song? What a Wonderful... Or, no... Yeah, right? What a wonderful world it would be. Oh, okay, yeah. What a wonderful world. I forgot world. that that's the lyrics. <laughs> I, always, I always think of that Louis Armstrong song. Do they have the same name? Because I'm pretty yeah. sure the Sam <laughs> Cooke song is called What a Wonderful World. Don't know much about science book. Yeah. I'm going to be really <laughs> mad later if I totally mess this up. But I think you guys at least know what song I'm talking about. So, uh, I mean, yeah, let's talk about the love story. It's... I mean, I guess it's expected. Um, so, I just, like, I don't see what... Sh- I mean, 
I don't see what she would see in him. She obviously had an Amish husband before. She chose to be in the Amish community. And she has this, like, attractive guy who obviously has an, a great farm who's interested in her. I don't understand. I mean, other than Harrison Ford saved her son. And her, I guess. Yeah, you have me thinking about it right now. Because yeah. the love story is not my favorite thing about it. I don't hate it. But... So, I don't... I don't hate the fact that there's a love story but i think the scene with the like she's bathing and the, he sees her through the window and all that's just kind of hollywood nonsense yeah i was like gratuitous yeah. like boobs and like <laughs> it i don't know it's an art film it's an art film <laughs> uh but I'm now I'm like, well, what what would she like if we are putting ourselves in the position of the writer or the storyteller or even of Rachel? Like, what would she see in the Harrison Ford character? Something about the just the openness, the the brashness, the vitality, know. or something like that, because he represents not just chaos but some other kind of life force. I think yeah. that. You know, and probably the mystique of the unknown in the outside world. And, but you know what? What, who are we to say, like, there's no such thing as, like, sexual attraction, too? It's yeah. Harrison Ford, and he's handsome. Yeah, he is and a handsome he's dude. he's protecting them. Yeah. And he's a man in her house who, you know, she's, like, he, he's a perfectly fine <laughs> husband type, or, or man to be yeah. for a woman to be attracted to yeah he's perfectly fine here's important there's that like weird scene where they're like kissing in the fog it's like really awkward kissing too yeah well i mean she may not have a whole lot of makeout experience yeah. but he looks like he didn't either yeah i don't know that he i thought they look like they're kind of taking bites out of each other or something like that it's it was very odd. strange although i do enjoy some fog so <laughs> but I do like him working on the car and and um and getting his car working and tuning into the radio station. It has the Sam Cooke song, and then he starts to sing and dance, and he grabs her, and she's taken by the moment, and they have that little dance together. It's a, yeah, it's a good scene. It was good. Also, like the boy kind of disappears. I mean, other than the scene with the gun, like he's not really in it for a while, you know. Okay, you can't just blow past the scene with the gun. The scene with the gun is yeah. amazing. The scene with the gun is, is another one that's like totally iconic. Yeah. And it's quoted all the time. It's just the best <laughs> scene. I love the scene with the gun. When the boy finds his gun in the drawer. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, he finds it. Okay, so I was thinking... The scene with the gun I'm talking about is when his grandfather talks to him about the... Gives him a lecture about the gun. Yeah. This, that's... This gun of the hand is meant for the taking of human... Yeah, yeah. I sound like Werner Herzog. Of, for <laughs> taking of human life. I think he kind of did sound like Werner Herzog. And he's like, uh, it's such a great scene. Like, it's endlessly <laughs> quoted. And, and um, uh, would you take a human life? I would only kill a bad man. <laughs> and can you see into the hearts of men who is bad? Can you see that, you know, I can see what they do. Yeah. That's my version of this scene. <laughs> Paraphrased. It's so good. Claps. <laughs> it's the scene that they always showed, like, you know, when they mm. Siskel and Ebert or at the Oscars. Yeah, you know, I'm sure like, it was at the Oscars. It's, it's the scene. Yeah. It was nominated for like eight Academy Awards, I think, and I believe it won Best Screenplay and Best Editing. Best Editing. I, you know, I was sitting there thinking, what good editing? 
it was invisible. Well, that's one of those awkward awards where I don't know what else was nominated for (laughs) best director, but it's the kind of thing where whoever's voting is aware, like the scene in the police station where he, yeah, yeah. Like they're like, that's amazing. It's about the editing. Yeah. But it's about the directing. Yeah. (laughs) But the Academy Awards have, have always been absurd in that way where you're like, this is the best picture. But it's not very well directed. This yeah. one's directed better. You know, where you have best pictures that don't have yeah. best no- director nominees or vice versa. So I think this is one of those things. It is it is well edited. But I think it's kind of a runner-up best director thing yeah. when it doesn't win best like director. A whole of, the whole is better than the sum of its parts or whatever. Like, well... Like, this movie is really excellent, but this editor, I mean, not so a lot much. of people would say, like, you shouldn't notice the editing. I yeah. mean, it should be editors maybe voting on editing, but how can you really judge editing if you don't know what you're working it with? You don't the see the raw sti- material. I really think it depends on the style because, I mean, there are cases when you want editing to be invisible and there's cases when you want it to be very obvious what you're trying to do. Like, editing can help you tell the story. You know, depending, I mean, just as simple as like when you switch from one scene to another. But I think that, I think that it's a nod towards, there is a lot of good visual storytelling in this film. So I think that you can say (laughs) it is well edited. Yes, I can see that. As they did. (laughs) But I think it's really well directed. It's interesting. um, I'm, you've probably seen a lot of other Peter Weir's American movies, but this was like, um... This was the mil- the movie that's like the pivot point or like the transition to Hollywood. Yeah. Because he he's an Australian film director. His I I don't know if it's his very first film, but he starts out with Picnic at Hanging Rock, which is such a beautiful poetic poetic mysterious ethereal strange amazing movie. Um and and a bunch of movies in Australia, The Last Wave um, which is an apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic, whatever, apocalyptic, weird thing. Not apocalyptic. It's a it's a vision of apocalypse. I don't know, whatever. I, I almost chose that. We should look at that sometime. Mm. And then he does The Year of Living Dangerously with Mel Gibson, and that's the one right before this, I think. Um, I know I skipped some other. Oh, Gallipoli was, an, was Mel Gibson's first movie, I think. He did that, also Australian. And then after this movie, he's he then becomes like a he does Dead Poets Society okay. and the Truman Show and a bunch of other things like that. I didn't know he did Truman Show. Yeah, he did the Truman Show. Interesting. Um, and much there. much if not all of the rest of his career is then as a Hollywood yeah. director. You know, usually bigger Hollywood movies, but it you know, Dead Poets Society is not. <laughs> Year of Living Dangerously or uh, Picnic uh, Hanging Rock. It's not. Maybe. It's just not. <laughs> Is it the male version of Picnic and Hanging Rock? Does anybody disappear in Dead Poets Society? I mean, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> they are both boarding schools. It's a boarding school movie. Yes, it is. That's true. Sorry, I'm not really trying to make a yeah. comparison there. <laughs> So the love story, not so much for you? Uh, I mean, like, it's it's clear it's never going to work. It was hard for me to root for it. It felt kind of weird. Like, I don't know. But without it, what was he doing there? Because, like, he wasn't doing much. After he was healed, he was just kind of hanging out. Well, I think from his point of view, the 
that the Amish community and Rachel is supposed to maybe give a kind of pull to like, it's better. Like this could yeah. be a better life. This could, yeah. this is what I don't have in my life. I don't have a family. I don't have a wife. I don't have a community. I don't belong. Yeah. So there's some kind of, um, parallel or, or com- yeah. comparison going on there. So, yeah. And then they have to wrap it up. Well, as they do, and it's such great story structure yeah. because this the police corruption, violent yeah. like thing that they're hiding out from, it's really cool how that just disappears mm-hmm. for like forty five yeah, minutes or an true. hour, but it inevitably has to come back. There yeah. are consequences for all of that, and so they come out, and you have that wonderful scene in the midst of them parking the car, the three co- Danny Glover yeah. and Schaefer, and walking down the road to the house. It's great. So that violent world has to come back. Yeah, I guess, I guess. I just, like, it's 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 this problem that I have. You know, I have this problem, which is, like, I just think about, like, if they were real people, the motivation for doing this is just really weird. Like. <laughs> it's a good movie. I know. It's a good movie scene. <laughs> it is a good movie but scene. But did they really think they were going to walk in and blow away a bunch of, And they of, brought like, three people. Three people. <laughs> three people with shotguns. <laughs> three people with shotguns. Just out to this farm in the middle of nowhere, and they're going to shoot everyone there what is that i think they're what i think the... they're gonna just try and grab him and go okay well i don't know if they're gonna get the boy i think they're mostly worried about him because he knows the whole story yeah so i mean i don't know it seems like to me rather than you know take the chances of being shot on this farm um maybe you just like try your hand at court or just like completely discredit the guy or let him hide out forever and then deal with it when he comes out of hiding. It's not the strongest thing about the movie. <laughs> the crime thriller element is not great. It's I actually I remember being 14 years old and being like, eh, you know, yeah. when they come in and now you have to have like a violent shootout kind of confrontation. I eh. did enjoy the guy getting buried by the grain. So that, that was kind of fun. That's the brilliant thing yeah. is you have to have you now now that he's lived among them, you have to have his means of protecting himself be like the farming equipment. Yeah. So you have that burial by corn silo yeah. like thing. Which I was, re- did you read that uh, they actually did dump the corn on the, the actor? Oh, okay. And they had somebody with a snorkel or something hiding under there to give him air as soon as he goes under? Interesting. Snorkel's not no, the right I didn't word. No, re- I didn't read that. Well, it could be a snorkel. I don't know. Whatever. An air yes, thing? Yes, a thing. Yeah. A thing, a device. <laughs> not a tube. But with- they actually dumped the whatever... Millions of I pounds. I think it was of, corn. It, it looked was like corn. corn to me. Yeah, that's millet. That's great. It, millet. It's corn. <laughs> it's not millet. Millet is seven in the samurai kind of stuff. Seven in the samurai. Seven. In the seven. Sa- buckwheat. Seven buckwheat flour. Was, will will buck- you stop doing? My cat is like scratching our sofa right behind me. She's fighting her tail. Okay. Well, it's it's loud. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, it, it's super violent. I guess that achieves the intended effect which is to bring the violence to them and make him realize that he can't but you know what redeems all of that sorry to mean to cut off your thought is it ends up with schaefer being the last baddie standing his friend and his partner the and the highest highest up and what happens is you have that moment where all the amish come out and walk across and they just stand there and confront him and then he puts down his like yeah They are the witness. They are the witness. They witnessed they it. They would witness that. They would witness it, yeah. He backs down. 
Well, I mean, so what I like else is going to do? He's one dude at this point. But. He's one dude, but <laughs> but he's like, really, are you going to do this? Yeah. I can't remember. Does he actually say something like that? Yeah. I guess, like, to me, it maybe seems like Schaefer was at the top and not directly involved in sort of the dirty work. And then he lost his two guys that were doing the dirty work. I think work. he was involved in probably getting a cut of it somehow, yeah. but not necessarily one of the ones like, actually Like, he's not doing the it. one that got Harrison Ford's part. I mean, like... He probably ordered it or, or was okay with it. I don't know if he, if he ordered it or was just involved in the ring. Yeah, yeah. Although, he, so Harrison Ford's partner um, from the beginning of the movie, um, he's trying to help Harrison Ford out where he is, but he gets shot in the line of duty during the course of the film. Yeah, and it's okay, yeah. implied that... Yes, you said partner. Yes, he's probably yeah. involved in calling that hit. Yeah. With but Danny he, Glover. I mean, I don't get the idea that he was directly involved in actually shooting. So, like, it was just this sort of separation from what was being done and who was actually doing the dirty work of well, killing humans. Well, that may have humans. been a phone call while he was having family dinner yeah. to Danny Glover and company. Yeah. McPhee. So, I mean, like... I, it's it's interesting that he could separate himself. I don't know. It's not that interesting. People do it all the time, unfortunately. Compartmentalize? <laughs> yes. Here's and we're my, really good at compartmentalizing. Here's my violent corruption. I used I, to think I had a talent for it. Everyone does. You don't order you don't, hits. No, I don't. As far as I know. <laughs> no, I'm not involved in... I, I do think it was kind of a waste of Danny Glover, because I like Danny Glover a lot. Well, it's not a waste. It's at the beginning of his career. Yeah, that's it's true. It's an early career movie for him. Yeah. I think it's around the time, it may be the same year as The Color Purple, which is sort of one of his, probably his first big I've role. I've never seen it. I need to see that. But um, I don't think he was very well known. I think this is one of his first major parts. Yeah. And it's not that big a part. Yeah. But it's early. It's it's early Danny Glover. I don't know. Is this like a thing in it's the... It's before Lethal Weapon, let's just is say. Is this like a thing in the 80s? Although this... this The the Harrison Ford's friend, Schaefer. Yeah. Like, he has a little bit more of that sort of gray area. But, like, in the 80s, I still think we were very much like, bad guys are bad, you know, and... Good guys are good. But and the with- 70s was all about... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, anti-heroes and, black, and not black and white. It was all yeah. about the complexity of people who were bad and good and just were human. Well, we all know what happened in the 80s, which is this backlash against... Against everything progressive. <laughs> and back to the sort you of, still- like, 50s ideas of... Well, Black and white and good you and still bad. Have and characters of moral complexity yes. in this. Schaefer's not <laughs> crystal clear. Yeah. I mean, at least they do a better job of writing a three-dimensional yeah. baddie yeah. antagonist who he still doesn't have that much screen time. He's not that big a part. Yeah. But there's more care done with portraying him as a, as a complete person than yeah. there is in the usual crime thriller, even of that time, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So, I don't know. I like it when I find these movies from this period where I know you didn't see them because you were, like, literally a child. (laughs) And so I have a couple of my old copies of Roger Ebert's movie Home Companion that I flip through every (laughs) once in a while trying to see, well, did she ever see Pritzi's Honor or, you know, whatever. I don't know. Movies that were big in the 80s but um, that are totally not on your radar and that we don't talk about anymore. Yeah. I think, you know, people of my age would remember them, but... 
Um, it's not the movies that we watch over and over now. <laughs> I don't know. When I can think of them, I'll pull them out. Well, I just, I think you have a talent, and I should know this going in to films, is that you you enjoy a type of film that's a little more subtle than than perhaps other things would be in the same genre, you know? Um, and you that play with with those tropes, but make it more thoughtfully than, than most of those films would be, you know? Oh, I'm all about movies that subvert that, (laughs) that, you know, have, they appear to be a crime film, but there's something else going on. You know, it's actually a character study. Yeah. Have you ever seen the conversation, the Gene Hackman uh, film? It's one of Coppola's early movies. Mm -mm. It's another really like, on paper, Coppola at all. on paper, it would sound kind of like a thriller in a way, but it's totally not. It's fairly slow, and it's all about the the psychology of this character yeah. that it's about. It's That's... kind of a more European type of filmmaking where, like, the French New Wave directors like Truffaut and Godard were, like, inspired by American crime movies and film noir and Hitchcock, but then they, like, did their own thing with them. yeah. And I think Truffaut probably went more in the into character and story, and Godard went more with artifice and like the the like this is a the meta aspect yeah. of film. This is edited film pieces cut together. Well, it's interesting because I, I mean, because of my age, have not seen many of the films starting. You know, except for the big ones starting. You know, from the mid seventies until the mid to late eighties, I just didn't see much. I mean, I saw ghost dad, you know, that's the, (laughs) we will never be talking about ghost Ghost dad. Dad. I've never seen ghost dad, but I, it's probably not on my, I've also seen ghosts, but, um, so I've seen ghosts. Yeah. Um, but like, so like, I don't, other than like the big films, like in my concept of like seventies and early eighties films is this sort of like overt, masculinity that sort of like drips all over everything and is not really my style of thing well, what anyway. about then we just saw clute recently yeah, which is yeah. all about feminism and oh, well uh, and we saw old boyfriends which was also yeah well clute was 72 old boyfriends later 70s right yeah like 78, 79 79, 79 i think yeah which a film i've never heard of before by john yeah. tewksbury yeah yeah so I mean, my concept of those because I'm just like, why would I be familiar with them? I didn't, I wasn't there when those movies came out. I didn't have a concept of what was in the theaters or what was in the. So like, somebody has to yeah. curate them. for Otherwise, me. you only know the the taxi drivers and the Godfathers, yeah. and you don't know about the an urban cowboy. Yeah. Do I mean urban cowboy? Why do you mean Urban Cowboy? Wait, which... which it's a movie. I don't... I'm it's not says, talking... It's not the John Travolta one, it right? It is a John Travolta Okay, no, movie. then this is a different any, movie that I'm thinking I don't think I've of. ever seen it, but... It, Midnight it, Cowboy, not... <laughs> not Urban Cowboy. <laughs> I hope nobody ever goes to see Midnight Cowboy thinking it's Urban Cowboy, because that would be a very disturbing uh, awakening. I've never seen Urban Cowboy. I have seen Midnight Cowboy, so... They're not that much alike. No, no. They both have cowboy in the title. They do. John Voight and is a mo- a, and a, an adjective. John Voight is a different sort of cowboy. Yes, but true. we don't talk about John Voight. Um, 
I think we're about at the end of our rope. Yes. Are we at the end of our rope? I think so. I'm hungry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, let's do something about that, and we'll let these people go on okay. to the rest of their life. And I hope you enjoyed revisiting Witness if you haven't seen or thought of this movie in decades like me, or if you've never encountered it before, like Ashley. Yeah. And if you enjoy niche religions, I I highly recommend it. Or if you're um, entranced by the pastoral also. Oh, and you know, they studied Vermeer paintings to kind of think about the kind oh, yeah, of quality of light that. they wanted yeah. in some of those interior scenes. Pretty, yeah. yeah, nice, cool, cool, warm light, if that makes sense. Fog, right on. Foggy. So, you know, it's your turn next time. It is. I have, I have an idea. Good. Yes. Tune in again in about two weeks and we'll be back with another episode of Shut Up and Watch This. Tell your friends. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a star review or a little comment on Apple Podcasts, and it helps other people find us. And uh, we will be back with you again soon. Bye. Bye.